0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast, presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the year, the road to the Final Four that will end in Atlanta, and we have a loaded show for you guys today, breaking down a full weekend of college basketball. And we've hinted at this a little bit on this show over the course of the last couple weeks. Now, this is really one of the best times of year to be a college basketball fan because college football, is re- or college football is over. The NFL is wrapping up. We have one more game to go. And this is usually the time of year where college basketball really takes center stage. And we are starting to figure out. And learn more and more and more about these teams, what teams we are going to want to back in the NCAA tournament, and what a day it was on Saturday. And we have a lot to get to, right? We are going to get into the Duke-North Carolina game, the first game in that rivalry series, without Mike Shevsky Dean Smith, or Roy Williams on the sideline. The first time that none of those three guys have been on the sideline in this rivalry series since 1961 it's been a long time we're going to get into that we are also going to get into just some of the other games and things that really stood out to me over the course of the weekend but there is one place we have to start which was the game of the weekend in my opinion the number one team in the country goes down number one purdue taking on their rival number 21 indiana what a double header on espn purdue indiana Leading into Duke, North Carolina, and we're going to get into this also. I understand that with no Coach K, with no Roy Williams, it's a new chapter in the series of Duke, North Carolina, and that game, even though ESPN really tried to hype it up to us, that game was not the usual Duke, North Carolina game with the amount of hype and attention it was getting, but we're still going to talk about it, but we have to start with the number one team in the country, Purdue, going down at Assembly Hall, and I'll say this about Purdue, right? They are the number one team in the country. They were going into this game. We'll see what they are on Monday when the new AP Top 25 comes out. And I've been someone like last year, for example. Right, I was never on the Purdue bandwagon. They could not play defense. And as good of a, t- as good and as talented of a player as Jaden Ivy was, he just didn't exactly fit Matt Painter's scheme well. And when you play for Purdue, it's all about the scheme. It's all about the system. Like, there's not one player more important than the whole team. And Jay is a very talented player. He's doing great in the NBA as a top five pick. But I just felt like at times Purdue wasn't exactly the best place for him to showcase to showcase all of his skill set. And it just wasn't a great fit. And it's crazy because when you look at this Purdue team, right, they have two freshman guards and Lawyer and Smith and a lot of people when trying to figure out like what is Purdue's downfall gonna be in the NCAA tournament. Those are Usually the two guys they point to, and I understand they're freshmen, but every time I watch them, they rise up to the occasion. But with that being said, also like this loss by Purdue, the the main point I'm trying to make here is, and we're going to get into the Indiana side of things, uh, in their perspective in a second. But I was actually really impressed with Purdue in this game. Zach Eady goes for thirty three and eighteen. That is a real stat line, and he had over twenty plus points in the first half. He really made it known for Purdue that we're not going down easily and it's funny because ed played great in the first half especially but indiana was actually up 50 to 35 15 point lead for the hoosiers at the end of the first half purdue actually outscored indiana by 10 39 to 29 in the second half but it was just one of those days where indiana wasn't going to lose especially playing in front of that crowd and we forget just how good of an atmosphere for a big game, Assembly Hall is, and Mike Woodson now in year three for the Hoosiers. This was really his signature win. He is now two and zero against Purdue at Assembly Hall. You remember that game last year when Rob Finney hit the go ahead buzzer, not a buzzer beater, but he hit the go ahead basket with I believe under ten seconds to go to give India, uh, yeah, to give Indiana that victory. And Trace Jackson Davis, he is really starting to come on as a first team All American type player he has 25 and 7 in this game plays off or 39 out of 40 minutes really did a good job doing the best he can and at least trying to limit Edie. i think he said this in the post-game interview as well when you're playing and going up against a guy like zach Edie, who's 7-4 and that's skilled it's basically impossible to just completely shut him down so you have to accept the fact that he's going to get his, but you just have to try your best to limit him to the best of your ability. And even though he dropped 33 points and 18 rebounds in this game, no one else for Purdue scored more than 12 points. Lawyer had 12, and then it wasn't a whole lot of offense for the Boilermakers. And something else interesting in not only this game, but all of college basketball, Purdue, the number one team in the country, they go down. Earlier this week, the Tennessee Volunteers, they lose to the Florida Gators. They were actually ranked number two in this past week's AP Top 25. And that marked the third week in a row that the number two team in the country went down and lost. And if you remember, way back a long time ago, during the 2007 college football season, this is a season where a lot of college football fans really remember and like to reminisce on because every week it seemed like that whoever was ranked in the top five, they would be losing, if you remember. Kansas, yeah, the Jayhawks, the team that didn't start playing really well in football like ever up until this year. That was a Kansas team that climbed all the way uh, to the top five in the AP poll during that 2007 college football season. So we're experiencing something a little bit similar in college basketball. Now the third week in a row, again, the number two team in the country went down. And then this week, the number one team in the country goes down. But one other thing I wanted to say for Indiana, which I think is starting to become a really interesting dynamic, right? So let's start all the way in the beginning of the season. Indiana, they had some major expectations. They were projected to be the favorite to win the Big Ten Conference because they actually made the NCAA tournament last year and were really the only team in the Big Ten bringing a majority of their starters and main contributors back, right? Iowa, they lose Keegan Murray. Michigan, uh, they lose Musa Diabate and Devontae Jones and Caleb Houston. Uh, Ohio State loses Malachi Branham. They uh, they um, also lost um, uh, EJ Liddell. That's a big loss as well. Illinois, they lose Kofi Coburn. Like a lot of teams in the Big Ten, besides Indiana, lost some really talented players. But the Hoosiers bring just about everyone back, and they got off to a good start. You know, they start off the season with a big road win over Xavier. They start off the season with a big home win in the Big Ten ACC Challenge over North Carolina. But then things start to not go as well for a bit. They lose three out of four to start off Big Ten play and to close out non-conference play in early December. They lose to Arizona. They lose to Rutgers. They lose to Kansas. None of these are particularly bad losses per se. But anytime you lose three out of four and you're ranked that high, you know that concerns are obviously going to start coming. And in that Kansas game, right, Indiana loses their starting point guard, Xavier Johnson. And at the time, we all thought, shoot, that's really not good for Indiana. This is their main ball handler. They don't really have a lot behind them. What does this mean for the Hoosiers going forward? And they even struggled a little bit after, like when Xavier first got hurt. They had a three-game losing streak, losing at Iowa, losing to Northwestern at home, a shocking loss, losing at Penn State. But then all of a sudden, Mike Woodson really starts to build uh, his game plans. And the main focus of Indiana was the freshman Jaden Huchifino. He was a member of the Aaron Torres Media first team All-American squads that we did a few weeks ago uh, here at Aaron Torres Media. Me and AT broke down our top players in college basketball uh, with our first team All-Americans and freshman teams as well. And Huchifino, he made the list for freshman all-american and we saw why on saturday against purdue he is really good with the ball in his hands and i'm curious to see how does mike woodson manage this when xavier johnson comes back because it is clear hutchifino even for a freshman that should be in high school right now i think that's important to remember as well this kid reclassified and should be in high school right now but he decided to come to college and he has really helped things go for indiana they have now won Six of their last seven games, the only loss during that span coming on the road against Maryland. And we also know just how difficult of a place College Park could be to play. So Indiana goes to Maryland and loses, but they respond nicely in this game against Purdue. They also had a home win over Ohio State, had a home win over Michigan State, were able to go on the road to Illinois and win. So the Hoosiers have been playing some really good basketball. And the fact that they've been able to turn this around without Xavier Johnson in the lineup is really impressive to me. And the thing about Indiana also that really stands out to me, right? Is this team has a ton of, a ton of depth, especially when they're healthy. And with this depth, like they just have so many guys that could do so many different things. Well, Indiana only played primarily seven guys in this game. Only Renault and Tamar Bates really got big time minutes off the bench. And this is without Xavier Johnson. This is also without Jordan Geronimo, a guy who when race Thompson first got hurt. Also, Indiana is a team that's really struggled with injuries. Like when race Thompson first got hurt, Jordan Geronimo was the guy that was really making an impact. And unfortunately he got hurt. He didn't play in this game. So when Indiana has a full healthy top nine of trace Jackson, Davis, race, Thompson, Miller cop, Shafino, Galloway, Bates, renew, Geronimo, and Xavier Johnson. That's a really good top nine that not a ton of other teams in the country are really going to be able to match. And if you want to play a smaller lineup with just Trace or Race at the five and surround them with all guards that can make shots from the perimeter, that could be a dangerous look. Or if you want to play two bigs with Trace and Race like they did on Saturday against Purdue or Renault and Trace or Renault and Race Thompson, like Mike Woodson just has a lot of different options at his disposal. And that is one of the things that can make a team really dangerous in March. And when I look at the Big Ten right now, Purdue is clearly the team to beat. They're going to win the league, even with this loss. This was only their second loss of the season. And also, I loved in the post-game press conference, Zach Eady really showing his leadership uh, skills. And really, you could say whatever you want about Purdue and how they they have struggled to win games and go deep into the NCAA tournament. But leadership and the way Matt Painter teaches his kids, not only about the game, but about how to act in life and how to be a leader. That's some really impressive stuff. And we saw that with Zach Eadie. If you guys didn't see the clip, Braden Smith, he was asked about a certain play. He admitted to making a mistake and he really put, made himself vulnerable in that moment. But Zach Eadie literally uh, reached over the table, grabbed the mic and said, yeah, that was a bad play. But at the end of the day, in a game as big as this, every play is going to be important. And just because that happened, we all had things that we could have worked on and done better throughout the game, and that's something that, to me, was a real sign of leadership, and it was really impressive by Zach Eady, the mo the guy who's most likely going to win National Player of the Year in college basketball this season. And even though Purdue lost, I'm being real, I was impressed with their effort. Do I really know how far they go? They're going to go in March. And am I really confident that this is finally going to be the year that Matt Painter and his squad breaks through? Maybe I'm not confident I could say that, but I will say this. I think this Purdue team is significantly better than last year's. They fit together better. They play harder. They go around Edie. There's no confusion with him and Trevion Williams. And I do think even though it's easy to throw Purdue just straight in the trash right now is a legitimate national championship contender. This is still a really good team that impresses me. Most times, they take the floor. The Big Ten, we talk about this all the time. It feels like a jumbled mess at times, right? You have a clear top team in Purdue. You have a clear bottom team in Minnesota. And then after that, anyone could really beat anyone at any time. We saw that with Northwestern. They get smacked at home to a struggling Uh, Michigan team and then they followed up going on the road to Wisconsin a building that they really struggled in in the past and beating a Badger team that was fresh off a big victory in their own right against Ohio State so anything could happen in this league the talent level in these teams are also even and even with that being said Purdue's loss to Indiana was only their second loss in Big Ten play and also they are nine and one in their last 10 games which is really impressive Purdue will next be in action on Thursday when they host Iowa, and then they will go to Northwestern, uh, on Sunday, which should be an interesting game. Northwestern is one of those teams where I feel like they could beat anyone or lose to anyone, just like the rest of the Big 10. They do have guards though, and Bowie and Odish that can make things go, but really impressed with Purdue, even with the loss. And the more and more I watch Indiana, I do start to wonder, okay, does this team have the build? Does this team t- have the makeup? to possibly go on a deep run in March. They also have tournament experience. It didn't go great last year in their opening round, big dance game against St. Mary's, but they also beat uh, Wyoming in the Dayton first four to get into that game. So Indiana does have experience winning tournament games. They're an older team. They have a very good coach in Mike Woodson who continues to do a great job. Uh, he Uh Since he arrived in Bloomington, and got a lot of Archie Miller's former players to return. He's done a great job recruiting. He knows what he's doing. I'm a big fan of Mike Woodson, and I'm a big fan of this Indiana basketball team. Definitely a squad to watch going forward. Moving on to our next order of business here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast, presented by Betfred Sports. I did have some thoughts on the Duke-North Carolina game from Saturday, and this was such an interesting game in the sense that A, You rarely see North Carolina and Duke playing each other when both teams are unranked. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but this is the first meeting in this series since 1961. That is a long time ago. Yeah. Over 55, 60 years ago that none of Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski or Dean Smith were on the sidelines in this rivalry series. And it was a big and interesting debate going on leading into this game if This Duke-North Carolina game has it lost its luster a little bit, and it's not exactly the same as the rivalry was in the middle of its peak with Coach K and Roy Williams and Dean Smith. But for me as a diehard college basketball fan, every time these two teams play at the atmosphere of either Cameron or the Dean Dome, it is must-see TV for me. Maybe I'm just a sucker. I know Duke and North Carolina, if you don't have a dog in the fight sometimes, It could be a game that not everyone wants to watch. But after what we saw in the Final Four last year and in Coach K's last game in Durham, North Carolina, winning both of those games in shocking fashion, beating and sending Coach K out a loser in his last game, not only at the Dean Dome, or not, excuse me, not only at Cameron, but uh, in the NCAA tournament in the Final Four in New Orleans. What a run that was for North Carolina. And it's interesting also in the sense that a lot of the players – that did this for North Carolina, right? Love, Davis, Baycott, uh, Black—they were all back in school for this season. While Duke, they—they have, excuse me, a new coach and uh, a bunch of new players with some freshmen as well. So when you look at this Duke team, they had some young players, and this was for a lot of them their first real experience in the rivalry. But the Blue Devils come away with the victory, sixty-three to fifty-seven. Jeremy Roach. He was Duke's top performer. He plays all 40 minutes, drops 20 points, 7 rebounds, pretty efficient 8 of 20 from the field. I mean, never great to take 20 shots, but he made 8 of them, just under 50%, which is good. And we have seen this theme a lot with Duke. Sometimes they just go as Jeremy Roach goes when he's playing at his best. That's usually when Duke is at their best. But the main story for the Blue Devils to come out of this game is Derek Lively. And listen to the stat line, right? Lively had, in 34 minutes played, four points, 14 rebounds, and eight blocks. And this kid, Lively, it's interesting, he was part of the highly heralded Duke recruiting class, the first recruiting class for John Shire as head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. And he brings in Lively. He brings in Kyle Filipowski, who has been awesome for Duke this season. Probably, yeah, is their most consistent and best player. Mark Mitchell, a really good young freshman. Tyrese Proctor, he played 38 minutes in this game. He had some moments. Uh Derek Whitehead, unfortunately, didn't play in this game. He's injured right now, but he is part of that recruiting class as well. But there is no doubt that Duke is at their best when Derek Lively's out there on the floor making an impact. And it doesn't have to be necessarily scoring the basketball in that impact. But with uh, 14 rebounds and eight blocks, what a performance on the defensive end. And you could tell. Lively has really embraced the role of being a true rim protector and making sure that it's going to be very, very difficult for Duke's opponents to score easy inside on the Blue Devils. And what a performance from Lively. I'm convinced Duke doesn't win this game without him. And this is a Blue Devil team that has struggled a little bit. They've been inconsistent for the majority of the season, but they've won three games in a row during ACC play for the first time. Three wins at Georgia Tech home against Wake Forest, home against North Carolina, and they will have a big game tonight going on the road to the U, taking on the Miami Hurricanes. That should be a great watch. Miami is a team that has been great at home. They don't lose at home, especially in ACC play. And then Duke will follow that up on Saturday going on the road to Virginia. That's not going to be an easy game as well. But when you look at the Wahoos, Uh, They just suffered their first loss of ACC play this past Saturday against Virginia Tech. So a very difficult two-game stretch for Duke. They've struggled on the road in ACC play for the majority of the season so far, but they were able to win at Georgia Tech. That was actually only their second road victory in ACC play. They've only won at Boston College at Georgia Tech the next two games at the U and at Virginia Tech. Those are going to be a little bit of upgrades in competition, and we'll see what the Blue Devils do. But with Lively and Roach making an impact, that is something that Duke had on Saturday against UNC that they haven't necessarily had consistently for the majority of the season. And you hope Dariq Whitehead could get back healthy as soon as possible because when he was on the floor, he was starting to look really good, starting to make a significant impact. So if Duke could just get Dariq Whitehead back, for March Madness. That is something that could really put this team over the top. And I still believe in Duke's talent, right? There aren't many teams in college basketball with a more naturally talented group than Duke. The thing is, they're just so young and they even have a first year head coach. It's going to take some time. And I do think eventually John Shire is really going to get this thing going. And that was his first real big time signature win in this rivalry series over North Carolina. And speaking of the Tar Heels, I do have some thoughts on them as well, and. I just want to say this, right? North Carolina's run, their season in general, and then their run to the Final Four National Championship game last season was something you rarely see in college basketball, right? North Carolina went into the season, even though it was the end of the Roy Williams era at the end of 2021 and the official beginning of the Hubert Davis era. Like, North Carolina went into last season with some big-time expectations because they had a ton of talent. Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, they got Brady Manick. They had a really good team on paper. And in the preseason, people took note of that, but they struggled during ACC play. It honestly looked very similar to what we're seeing from North Carolina now just coasting, not really looking like they want to play together. They look soft at times. And North Carolina really didn't turn things around until they were able to go on the road into Cameron and somehow, some way, beat Duke. And when you look at the Tar Heels this year, it's a similar story. Even though if North, when North Carolina gets to the NCAA tournament, they're going to be a threat to beat anyone, they've had some losses and performances overall this season that have been really frustrating. And I understand in the beginning, right? Losing to Iowa State, losing to Alabama, losing to Indiana. While you don't want to lose every game, especially early, those are three of the top 15 best teams in the country, those three teams right there, Iowa State, Alabama, Indiana. North Carolina lost to those three teams consecutively, in late November. They then started off December with another loss at Virginia Tech, which again, you never want to lose four games in a row, but at Virginia Tech is a really hard place to play. The Hokies went 3 and 0 at home against Duke, UNC and Virginia this season, which is really impressive. I think Mike Young is a great coach and Virginia Tech should be a tournament team. But besides the, those losses like, yeah, they lost on the road to Pitt. That's not a great loss. They lost on the road to Virginia. That's the best team in the ACC playing on the road. That's not a terrible loss. And North Carolina's last two games, they lose to Pitt at home. They lose on the road to Duke. While they've been a little bit better in ACC play, A, the ACC has a conference. I know it's going to get eight or nine tournament teams. I don't think the league is as good as that. Even though they're going to get some tournament teams, the bottom is really weak. You could really take advantage of that. And North Carolina has some big games coming up. Check out the Tar Heels' next four games. At Wake Forest on Tuesday, keep in mind when UNC went to Wake last season, it was ugly. The Tar Heels didn't stand a chance. That game was over before it even started as the Demon Deacons just blew them out. They will then host Clemson, host Miami, and go on the road to NC State, which is not going to be an easy game at all. So that is a very, very difficult four-game stretch for the UNC Tar Heels. And I wouldn't be shocked if they take some losses because again and again and again, and this is what's so frustrating about North Carolina – they forget they have an All-American type player in Armando Baycott. Baycott, he had a solid stat line, right? He finishes with 14 points, 10 rebounds, 6-12 from the field. But the issue is he he took his last shot of the game with 12.47 left. It is a major issue when Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are combining for 31 shots and Baycott only had 12. And I feel like sometimes Hubert Davis and North Carolina – They just forget that they have one of the best players and just overall big men in the country in Baycott that could get them some easy looks. Also, one thing that really stood out to me in this game, North Carolina really misses Brady Manic. I think it's crazy because people forget this, right? When you go on a deep NCAA tournament run to the final four in the national championship game like North Carolina did, you're going to have just a ton of moments that you look back on and say, wow. We wouldn't have made it all the way as far as we did if not for this guy in this moment. And if you remember, North Carolina's round of 32 game in the NCAA tournament against Baylor last year, right? You're playing the defending national champions as an eight seed going up against a one seed. Not a game a lot of people necessarily expected North Carolina to win. But the one thing that really always stood out to me about that game is North Carolina is dominating Baylor, right? They got off to a great start. It looked like Baylor forgot what time the game even started. And all of a sudden, with about 10 minutes left to go in the game, North Carolina has a very comfortable 20-point lead. Brady Manick, who was playing great all-game, he couldn't miss, Transfer from Oklahoma, he gets ejected on not a great call. A call that, like, if you were ejecting someone from a game in the NCAA tournament, it has to be blatant. It has to be really bad. And Brady Manick did not deserve to get ejected for this move. And he does. And immediately... The game flips and Baylor goes on a massive run. They also got a few calls here and there that really went the Baylor Bears' way. And that game went to overtime. And I promise you, anyone who's uh, listening to this and watched that game will agree with me. When that game went to overtime, Baylor had all the momentum. And there wasn't a soul that thought North Carolina was going to be able to pull away and win that game. But somehow they did. Hit some big shots in overtime and North Carolina finds a way to beat Baylor after Brady Manic gets ejected. And then from that moment on, Brady Manic just cannot miss for the remainder of the NCAA tournament. And it has been known, like people have said it, the impact Brady Manic made to the UNC program is something that wasn't spoken about enough throughout last season. And I think we're really seeing it now. And I like Pete Nance as a player, right? He was really good at Northwestern. An all big 10 type player. But in 30 minutes in this game, he finishes with two points, five rebounds, Shoots 1 of 10 from the field and 0 of 5 from 3. Caleb Love he has 12 points in this game. Shoots 5 of 15, which honestly isn't a terrible stat line for him if you're judging his efficiency. And he shoots 2 of 7 from 3. So it's so frustrating that the volume for these North Carolina guards just goes up and up and up. Pete Nance, he's taking 10 shots and Baycott has taken 12. If you're Huber Davis, that's something you really have to adjust. And North Carolina, it's so frustrating with them because they clearly have still one of the more talented rosters in all of college basketball. But I feel like sometimes they just forget they have one of the best big men in the ACC and country overall in Baycott. And unfortunately, they couldn't take advantage of that. And it's not really going to get any easier for UNC, considering they have to go on the road to Wake Forest coming up on Tuesday and then they'll host Clemson. So North Carolina, they would be kind of just in that same similar position as to what they were last year, right? An eight or nine seed that's just really uh struggling to play consistently good basketball, but they do have enough quality wins to put their resume over the top and get them into the NCAA tournament. But if you're a fan of the North Carolina Tar Heels, it's frustrating because when you watch this team on a night in night out basis, you're not always a hundred percent sure what you're going to get. That pit game on a Wednesday night was not, ideal. I don't even think Pitt necessarily played great in that game, but North Carolina couldn't make any shots. You forget about Baycott. It's just not ideal. And look, if you're North Carolina, this Duke game is always very important, especially John Shire's first game. That's not one you want to lose, especially to start his uh, new era in the rivalry. But unfortunately for UNC, Duke comes away with the victory and we'll see if the Blue Devils and their freshmen could get it together consistently. It's hard to do that with a young team. They've struggled also with injuries as well, but I do think there is enough talent on this Duke team to really get things going. And the same thing for North Carolina, but they just have to remember to play through Baycott. That's what I wanted them to do. That's a goal for UNC, play through Armando Baycott and get away from the guards and then just shooting so, so much. To wrap up this episode of College Hoops Daily, there were a couple other results from the weekend that I wanted to hit on. And I wanted to start here in the WCC. And it happened late Saturday night, the last game of just a loaded day of college basketball. And we had the number 12-ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs taking on the number 18-ranked St. Mary's Gales. And there were a couple interesting things I had on my radar going into this game. Number one, St. Mary's they entered this game nine and zero in WCC play. Gonzaga they entered eight and two in WCC play. Mean or eight and one, excuse me. So Saint Mary's had a one game lead on Gonzaga, and if they were to win and take care of home court, that would be a two game lead they had on Gonzaga. And keep in mind the Bulldogs have won the WCC the last ten seasons. And it's interesting with Gonzaga because they've had
0: We heard you loud and clear, so go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
1: So much big-time, legitimate NBA talent over the course of the last few years, from Chet Holmgren to Jalen Suggs. They still have Drew Timmy, who might not be the best nba talent in the future per se but he is one of the best players in college basketball he is a certified star they have hickman and salas like they have so many guys but at the end of the day this gonzaga team they don't have a holmgren or a suggs and that's something that really has been apparent to me since the beginning of the season and gonzaga actually played really well for the majority of this game or not even that they played great But St. Mary's was just clearly off, especially in the first half. Gonzaga was leading for the majority of this game. They were up by eight at halftime. And the one thing that really stood out to me was St. Mary's, the way their team really goes is they have two guards that could really score the basketball. They're two of the best guards in not only the WCC, but in college basketball in Mahaney and they Logan Johnson, Dukas. They have some guys on this team. And... Mahaney and uh, Logan Johnson really struggled in the first half. They were clearly off their game. They were a combined like two of 18. It was really bad. And still St. Mary's in the first half could not have played worse. And they still found themselves with uh, in the game only down eight. And somehow this game goes to overtime and the star of this game is. Is Aiden Mahaney, who led the way for St. Mary's, and he literally willed them in the end. He finishes with 18 points, shoots eight of 19 from the field. He even did it playing with four fouls for the majority of this game. Like Logan Johnson failed, uh, fouled out of this game. And the one thing that really stood out to me for St. Mary's in this game is they are not afraid of any adversity. They were just a ton of things that really went wrong for the Gales in this game, and they were still able to find a way to win. And Randy Bennett, it's interesting with him, right? Because there's no doubt he's one of the more underrated coaches in college basketball, and he has done a great job with the St. Mary's team. He's one of the longest tenured coaches in the country. You know, Randy Bennett, he has been the head coach of St. Mary's for a long time now. I'll give you the exact year. He has been coaching St. Mary's his first season there. I'm just pulling this up right now. Sorry, just really bad uh, radio here. But Randy Bennett, the first year he coached St. Mary's was 2001. He's been around this program for a really long time as the head coach. And him and Mark Few have had some epic battles over the course of the last decade, last two dec- decades. And this was right up there. And St. Mary's didn't play great. And they still find a way to win in overtime. There are not many teams with a guard like Aiden Mahaney, a freshman that could just come in right away and immediately be the go-to guy for a team that's going to make the NCAA tournament. St. Mary's defense is really good. The metrics love them. They're 21-4 and overall. They have now won 12 games in a row. And I do think it's important to take that into context. Like, yeah, you're playing in the WCC, but you can't really ask for someone to do more than win 12 games in a row in that league, including over Gonzaga. And by the way, St. Mary's was able to win at BYU. They were able to win at San Francisco. They've really taken on every single challenge they've had all season with uh, no, no fails, no excuses. And they had some tight losses. Like they lost to Colorado state. That's not an ideal loss. They lost to Houston. They lost to new Mexico, which aren't great losses, Washington as well. But still, when you look at the St. Mary's team, there's no doubt about it, that they are the real deal. This is a team that made the NCAA tournament last year, They were able to beat and really blow out Indiana, the team we just spoke about in the beginning of the show. They really were able to blow them out, and then unfortunately the ride came to an end against UCLA in the NCAA tournament. But I'm a huge fan of Randy Bennett. I'm a huge fan of the St. Mary's team. And as great of a coach as Randy Bennett is, he has never gotten his team to a second weekend. He has been in the NCAA tournament just a handful of times, and when you look at his resume, he has now won... For WCC Coach of the Year honors, he's a three-time WCC tournament champ, and he has won the WCC regular season title three times as well. And I think this year he's really going to add to that. St. Mary's is in position right now to win the WCC, which would be uh, a, a great honor and something they haven't done since 2016, which would be a big deal. And I think this might be the year for Randy Bennett and St. Mary's to make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. He's had some really good teams over the course of his career. And actually, I'm mistaken. He did make the Sweet 16 in 2010. That's a while back. But yes, St. Mary's, they've not made the Sweet 16 since 2010. I think this could be the year that they do finally get back. And when you look at this Gale squad, that was just such an impressive showing on Saturday over Gonzaga. Another team I wanted to give a shout out to is Iowa State. They rebounded in a big way. Beating Kansas at home on Saturday, and when I say beat, that doesn't even do them the proper justice. They won that game sixty-eight to fifty-three. wasn't really particularly close. Uh, leading the way for Iowa State was Jaron Holmes, the St. Bonaventure transfer. He has fifteen and six. Taman Lipsy, the freshman. Look at this stat line: nine points, eight rebounds, ten assists for the freshman point guard. He has done a really good job filling in uh, Tyrese's Hunter, Tyrese Hunter's role. this Cyclone team and TJ Otzelberger continues to be just one of the more underrated coaches in the country he currently has Iowa State at 16 and 6 overall and when you look at the top of the Big 12 I mean it is just a gauntlet we also had Texas with a very impressive victory going on the road to Kansas State in the octagon of doom and picking up a big win over the Wildcats. That was actually, uh, when you look at Kansas State, they have been really good at home, and that was their first home loss of the season coming on Saturday against Texas. And when you look at this Kansas State team now, they've now lost two games in a row. They've lost three of their last four games, really the worst stretch they've had all season. And I'm going to be really curious to see how Jerome Tang And his squad responds, they will host TCU tomorrow. Keep in mind, that's a TCU team that is going to be without Mike Miles Jr. in that game. He's suffering, trying to get back from a knee injury. They're also maybe not have uh, Eddie Lampkin. He was questionable to play leading into the game on Saturday against Texas. But even with that being said, uh, the Longhorns going able to go on the road to Kansas State and winning. If you look at this game as well, Texas was actually down by 11 points at the end of the first half but considering how badly they played in the first half you felt like they were in a fortunate position Christian Bishop leading the way for Texas he had 14 points and looking at this box score it's so funny Texas's top two scores in this game both came off the bench Christian Bishop and Serge Barry Rice with a combined 28 points they each had 14 they also had a combined 16 rebounds and Serge Barry Rice He's a winning player. He's able to do all the little things for Texas. And you could see why he was so heralded in the transfer portal, Uh, even as a transfer from New Mexico State. There's no doubt about uh, the fact that this Texas team under Rodney Terry has done a really good job since Chris Beard. uh, Everything that happened with him, and those are obviously unfortunate circumstances, I don't think Rodney Terry could really be doing a better job. He currently has... Texas at 19 and four overall. They were number 10 in the country going into this Kansas state game. And they have a big game coming up on Monday, big Monday against Kansas. I'm really looking forward to that one. So a nice job by the Longhorns. Virginia Tech was a team we mentioned earlier, but they picked up a big victory on Saturday beating Virginia they are now four and eight in the ACC which doesn't sound great but the Hokies now have a real opportunity to get back into NCAA tournament contention they still have uh, a home game against Miami they still go on the road to Duke VaTech will also host Boston College in their next game on Wednesday uh, and that's the same Boston College team that actually beat them once earlier in the season but with uh, hunter couture healthy this is a Hokies team that should be able to do some serious damage and when you look at the ACC right now you have teams like Virginia Tech you have teams like Wake Forest that are really just fighting tooth and nail for a tournament bid North Carolina will head to uh uh Winston-Salem on Saturday on, on Tuesday to take on the Demon Deacons really looking forward to that one Steve Forbes I'm a big fan of his that should be a game uh for Wake Forest to win and they have a great home court advantage uh they've lost a couple home games recently though hopefully they'll be able to get back on track but really looking forward to that one and that's going to do it for today's episode of college hoops daily i really appreciate you guys listening and we are just getting closer and closer and closer to the best time of year march madness football season's wrapping up and i'm looking forward to talking as much college basketball as possible with you guys on this show that's going to do it talk to you guys soon everyone have a good one